Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. Let's talk freight. All right, what up, Midnight Freight Broker Nation? Episode 38. 38. I can't believe we've done this many. So this is going to be part two on hiring employees. And actually, more specifically, we're going to talk about independent contractors today, the old 1099 world. So first, I did want to get a little bit on the uh, update on sports. I'm going to skip the article for today because, again, they're all pretty much the same. The news and media is flooded with left versus right and truckers versus brokers. Uh, So anyway, on a positive note, you know I love sports. We're finally looking in the right direction and heading in the right direction when it comes to starting sports back up. So first, I'm going to start with my least favorite, NHL. All right. The NHL decided to end the regular season, take the top 24 teams, so 12 from each conference. I think that's what they're called as conferences, East and West. And those 12 will play against each other in a Stanley Cup playoff format that will be, I think, released here in uh, some short time. Either way, my Buffalo Sabres were number 13 on the Eastern side there. And again, if I had the East, West or conference division, whatever wrong, it's because I don't really watch hockey. So um, for all you hockey fans out there, more power to you. I just never really got into it. So uh, if the Sabres get good ever again, I might hop back on the bandwagon. I'm totally a bandwagon hockey fan. All right, NFL. At least in New York State, we got approved to start training camps up as long as everything is in order with safety, precautions, social distancing for non-essentials, and you know all kinds of good stuff there. So my Buffalo Bills are going to have a hell of a season here. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of great home games and a lot of really, really good destinations for away games. So we're going to probably be upsetting a lot of, uh, a lot of teams that thought they'd take us down. Buffalo is going to be on top of the AFC East. Hands down, I'm calling it right now. Uh, Major League Baseball. To my knowledge, uh, outside of all the BS with them trying to negotiate cuts and pay and all this stuff, um, we still haven't seen any games being played. I think you might see some um, centralized location games and have a, a modified season. I can't imagine a year without baseball, though. It's my favorite sport, hands down. Um just there's so many games. I love it. I can I can watch the Red Sox play almost every single day, whereas I get to see the Bills play, you know, once a week for only how many months out of the year. Uh, golf. Obviously, we had a couple charity tournaments that went on the last couple of weeks. I so I know I talked about it last week with the uh, the two on two from the the previous Sunday, but last weekend we saw Tom Brady up there with Peyton Manning against uh, Phil Mickelson and, and, and Tiger Woods. And they had, obviously, you had a pro with an NFL quarterback teamed up 2v2, uh, all for a good cause. I donated personally a little bit to each one of those tournaments the last two weeks. I think it's a, it's great to see good sports competition and, and raise money at the same time. Although it was so great seeing Tom Brady suck the first eight holes, then he drops that birdie and just starts going nuts on the mic telling, uh, who was it, uh, Charlie, whoever, to just, you know, hey, it's my turn to talk and all that good stuff. So, yeah, that was uh, that was exciting. I think he dropped like an eagle putter chip or something like that, too. But overall, he did lose at the end, I believe. And uh, Peyton 
Manning took the, the victory there with Tiger Woods. So great golf, though. Uh, just great to see stuff happening on TV with sports and getting to watch it live. I love seeing them all mugged up. You, you get to hear that competition and rivalry back and forth. Um, yeah, it's good. So that's my sports update. Let's get into the episode, though. Hiring part two here. This is 1099. So remember, last week's episode was all about hiring employees. Okay. Now, there. so I'm going to talk about independent contractors today. So why I'm going to talk about why you want to hire 1099, the difference with 1099 versus an employee, uh, types of roles that you can hire somebody on, um, the importance or decision to require or not require a book of business. How can you pay these folks? Where do you find them? Uh, a lot of great stuff. I'm going to do a surface level dive on it. I don't want to get too deep because the episode would go way too long. Um, so let's get into it. Why would you want to hire a 1099? All right. And what is the difference between 1099 and W2? I've written articles on this. I've done podcast episodes on this. Um, they're there's, they're similar and they're, they're also very different, okay? In the freight world, it can feel, especially right now when everyone's working from home, it can feel very, very similar. Uh, but the law distinguishes independent contractors and employees as two very different things. And I know we saw a lot of this with the whole AB5 issue in California. I think it was earlier this year, maybe late last year, I forget. Um, but anyway, let's talk about it. So an employee is someone that works exclusively directly for you, right? You tell them when to work, when to take breaks, quotas, etc. They have a standard pay system and all that good stuff. An independent contractor, or as the IRS labels them, a 1099 versus W-2. So the 1099 independent contractor, you cannot tell them what, what hours to work, how much work they have to do, the length of their employment, um, you know, when to take breaks, all that stuff. They are literally a contractor. So figure this. Let's say you, you were to do a remodel on your house and you hired a general contractor to, you know, let's say they're going to build a build an addition for you. Well, they're going to probably subcontract via 1099, maybe a guy that does drywall and a girl that does windows and a team that does whatever, you name it, you know, finishing, stuff like that. So, the independent contract is the, basically it's, they call it like gig labor, right? Where you're, you're contracted. You're not a hired employee that is there to, to work forever under a certain, you know, whatever. So it, it's, so here, let's, let's talk about the, at least the freight side of it. So when you look at an, an employee, let's talk about a freight broker that's employee versus an, a freight broker that's 1099. An employee freight broker has a boss Probably works eight to five, nine to five, whatever, has a quota. They'll get fired if they don't have the quota. They have to hit a certain margin. They're going to pay maybe a weekly rate or something like that, a commission or a draw or some mix. 1099, you're typically going to get a strict commission-only pay, and you have no guarantee of job security. But technically, unless you have some restrictive covenant, you can go work for as many people as you want to because you're just contracted. You don't, you're not owned as an employee by them. All right. So why hire 1099 if you are a broker right now? Well, there's definitely a tax benefit. Okay. So when you have an employee, the employer is required to split the taxes along with the employee. So there's what's called self-employment tax. It's like 7.65%. If I remember correctly on the federal side, that'll be an additional responsibility for the, the 1099 contractor to pay now. So normally let's say you made a uh, hundred thousand dollars a year and you paid 
$7,650 in taxes as an employee. Now you're paying double that. Okay. You're paying the entire 15.3, I believe it is, is the full tax responsibility. So now as the broker that's bringing on a 1099 contractor, you just saved yourself that money. Plus, if you have them on commission only and their business dips down, guess what? Doesn't affect you. All right. It's that's money that's out of their pocket because they're not producing. So contractors are great when you have a serious candidate that is not going to waste your time. Um, because think about it. If you're 1099, you're really betting on yourself because you're probably straight commission. All right? And I'll talk about a couple other examples of how they could have other alternative pay. But if you're strict commission, you're getting a certain percentage of any business that you produce and you're 1099. Hey, if you have a law in business, your broker that brought you on is not going to notice it except for their, uh, I guess, their override that they're going to make on top of that. So serious candidates only, they're betting on themselves. They got to make money to put food on the table. So you got to be moving freight to make this all happen. Uh, so it is appropriate if you follow all the guidelines that the federal government and some st- specific states will require when it comes to an employee versus 1099. So for example, if you're 1099, you cannot be told that you have to work in a certain office. You can't be told what hours you have to work. You can't be told how much money you have to produce. Um, you know, it's not to say that you have job security, but you can't be told you don't have a boss. Basically, the person that quote unquote hired you is not your boss. They're not your manager. You run your own operation. You run your own business. So if you're the broker bringing this person on, that's what they're doing. They are running their own business. Um, you are. You know, if you're the one that brought that independent contractor agent or rep or whatever you want to call them on, you got to be careful in who you're selecting for those reasons. Okay. And I've had 1099 agents make sure they remind me and other people that I've worked with many times that I am not your employee. You do not own me. I am a 1099 independent contractor and I could do as I please. Um, There's usually more to the story there than just the surface level issue that was being brought up, but you know, it's been, it's definitely been brought up in the past. Now let's talk about what kind of roles you might want to hire for 1099. Um, I'm going to talk sales and operations here. So a lot of people think, Oh, I'm just going to start hiring sub agents. I'm an agent. I'm going to start hiring sub agents. I'm going to bring these folks on. Just going to have them hammer the phones out. Hey, and you know, let's say maybe I'm making 70%. I'll pay this guy 40 or 50, maybe even 30, whatever, right? As long as I'm paying them more than their last employer, you know, I'm going to make the additional money off of all the business that they're bringing in. Well, it's not that simple, all right? If someone is doing sales only, you have to determine an appropriate level of commission or I guess earnings that you're going to compensate them with, okay? If they're doing just operations, you have to figure out an appropriate level. If they're doing sales and operations, well, then they're going to make a lot of money, but they still have to make less than you are earning overall on that business because you have to pay them and then make a profit on it, okay? So let's look at a salesperson. Sales only. All right, maybe you want to hire a sales guy on 1099. You find a guy or gal that's just, they're, uh, you know, a a phone savage, they can hop on there and smile and dial and they can close anybody, but they don't necessarily have the operational skill or ability to hunt down trucks, negotiate rates properly, all that good stuff, but they can get you in the door of the customer. All right, this would be a great situation where you can hire a independent contractor, 1099 sales representative. All right, you can call them whatever you want, sales rep, account manager, whatever you feel is appropriate. Okay, now remember that 
they're not making you money until that load is covered and you're actually producing a gross profit on that load and then you receive either your commission as an agent or you've cleared your books, got your AR and AP all done and got your your, uh, bottom line profit if you're actually a business owner. Um, So that would be the sales role. Now, what you would want to look for with someone like this is maybe someone that has already done this in the past either in transportation or not in transportation. Uh, Maybe they have a book of business, maybe they don't. Now, depending on the value that they bring to the table and maybe any potential customers, uh, that's gonna totally dictate and should depend very heavily on how much you decide to pay them as a commission, all right? If somebody comes in with no business, no experience in transportation, but you think that they're gonna make it, there's a lot of risk on your end, you're gonna probably wanna pay them less, okay? If they're pretty much a, a sure thing, you know, the shoe's going to fit day one and they've got accounts to bring over, well, you're lucky that you're going to be able to even bring them on instead of them going on their own. Uh, so you're going to want to pay them a, a pretty good commission there. Now, let's look at the operation side. Someone that maybe isn't so good at sales or closing accounts, but they can cover a load like it's no one's business. They've got a lot of good carry relationships. They know how to handle backhaul super good. They know all the little stuff that comes up, all the fires that have to get put out. This is when a great operations person would come into play. Now, you have to have the business there on the sales end or the you know getting the loads from the customer side to hire this person. Otherwise, they're there and they've got no, no work to do, nothing to work on. So a good time to hire an operations person would be if you have an influx in your business and you want to hire a, maybe a care sales rep, ops dispatcher, whatever you want to call them, bring them on. Maybe you want to pay them a, a percentage commission off the profit of each load or a, a set rate per load. You can get creative with it. I, I typically take a look at what someone has been paid in the past, what they're comfortable with and what they want, and then figure out, does it work with your business model? Because you want it to be a win-win. All right. Contractors can come and go. Now, sales and operations. What if this person's doing both? Well, that is ideally the, the definition of a true thoroughbred sub-agent right there. Okay. Um, I typically find it very difficult for someone to find a good sub-agent that is good in both sales and operations, because if that was the case, why wouldn't they just go be their own agent, right? I mean, if they're just going to do it and make less money working for you, why wouldn't they just go do it on their own anyway? So, uh, But I do see it happen a lot, and I think people assume when they're a newer agent or looking to get their first couple of agents underneath them that, oh, I'll just pay this guy five or 10% less. I'll bring them in and it's all good. Well, you know, think about what you put at risk there, depending on how much information they have access to and they're not restricted by anything because they're 1099 and they decide to leave and go somewhere else. They could pull some of your business away. They could damage your customer relationships. Um, It all depends. Now, if you bring someone in and maybe they're going to work as a 1099 contractor underneath you for you know, a myriad of reasons, right? Maybe they would like to be mentored by you. And, you know, they, they've worked as a W-2, but they've never done it independently before. It's their first time being 1099. They have customers. They know how to broker freight. They can cover it. They can do all that, but they just need to be able to figure out how do I do this independently from home as an independent contractor? You know, those are kind of the, you know, the white elephant. Those are the, 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 the random ones that, will actually work out. I've seen folks that will stay sub-agents for a very long time, but a lot of them will use it as a stepping stone, so be careful with your expectation at the beginning. Maybe you have some kind of restrictive covenant that you're going to say, you know, you know, you can't compete against me. You have to be exclusive 
with my business or with my agency or something like that. You could do whatever you want. I'm not a legal expert, but you know that would be a good recommendation. Now, obviously, like I said, sales and operations, they're getting the, getting the loads, they're brokering them out, they're maintaining their own margin. You have to make sure that you have a, a healthy spread that it's worth you having this person on your team and you're still making money on them. So let's say you make 70%. You may want to pay them 50, 60, whatever, depending on what you're offering to them. Because if all you're offering to them is just basically an MC authority to work under, you really don't provide any value. You typically want to have some kind of expertise or the ability to assist with you know some of your overflow freight or a great company that you're partnered with that isn't you know looking to hire them directly, so, but they'll let, you know, let that person come on with you vouching for them, whatever the case might be. Um, it's also really good for someone that's smaller and looking to grow. They're going to really bet on themselves. You might not have that book of business that a big brokerage will take you on with, you know, I've seen folks that want a million dollar a year book of business or, you know, 5K a month in gross profit. So maybe you're small. Maybe you're only at like 2,500 or 3K a month and you can go on as a sub agent under somebody else with the expectation that you set as, you know, hey, I'm going to do this and I plan to leave in six months from now. Or if you're the hiring person on that end, maybe you want to set the expectation that I want this to be long term. So I'm going to pay a little bit less, help you out get you an opportunity to do this, and then we're going to reevaluate your pay and commission split as time progresses. Um, it gets very sticky with 1099 because you really don't have a lot of control over them, but you know, it is what it is overall. Um, that would be the true sub-agent type of situation right there is when they're doing both sales and operations. Now, let's talk about the book of business, all right? Is it important? Yes, no. Um, there's times when it's great and there's times when not having it might be advantageous to you as well. So no book of business is usually high turnover, all right? Especially if they're commission only, all right? This person comes in, they have no customers. Even if they know what they're doing, there's no guarantee that they're gonna be able to just land on their feet day one or week one or month one, hit the ground running and make money and it's profitable for them and for you. This is a high turnover type of situation here. But the ones that do make it will typically stay longer because you gave them the opportunity, you work with them and you grew together as a team. Where the person that comes in with a book of business, if they're gonna be subcontracted to you, you know, it's not necessarily any not, not necessarily advantageous to that person to stay with you if they can make more money as their own agent. Now, let's take a step back. What if you are a brokerage owner and you're looking to bring on your first agents, okay? Start an agent program. 1099 is definitely a great way to go because now you can offer commission at whatever competitive rate that you think is good and you can decide, do I want someone that's gonna bring a book of business or do I want someone that won't have one and I'll pay them less? You could do whatever you want because these are folks that they don't have a another layer between you and them, right? They don't have, it's not like the brokerage then has an agent who has a sub agent. This is the, an actual direct agent going to the brokerage. Uh, so if you are looking to build an agent program or division, we could talk all about that in another episode, but that is probably where the 1099 is going to be the most beneficial is if you're looking to get that first one or two people on there. Um, that being said, you've got to have the back office to support them. Um, and you know, the whole commission split and the, the divvying up of support versus 
who's doing what. That's a whole nother episode itself. Um, but the, the book of business, um, I think most places are going to want you to have one if you're looking to go on 1099. Um, and if I was to hire someone 1099, uh, I probably wouldn't ever do a sub sub agent myself. It's not really my style. I, I just kind of like to run my own thing. But if I was to bring on an agent regardless or a sub agent regardless, I would definitely want to have that book of business unless I had an overflow of freight and I had someone that I trusted that I could bring on 1099 and have them sort of take over certain accounts. Maybe I have a past working relationship with them. I trust them. I know that they're they're very, very valuable if given the opportunity. Um, there's a lot of pros and cons you can kind of decide. Now, how do you pay these people? The most common is just a straight commission split, all right? You might get paid 70%. That's kind of industry standard as a 1099 agent. If you're a sub-agent under, under a different agent, you're going to have to make less than that, right, for it to be profitable for both parties. Otherwise, it wouldn't even make sense. All right, now, that percentage, remember, is a percentage of the gross profit on the load. So let's say a load is invoiced to the customer and pays $1,000, and the carrier is getting paid uh, let's say 850 okay? That leaves a $150 margin. That's the brokerage gross profit, 150 You would take whatever percentage commission that is decided, and that's where that is calculated from, okay? So let's say you're at 70%. You get 70% of $150, okay? And then if you are the one that hired them on, as the brokerage owner, you would make the other 30%. You'd retain that for whatever you offered them. Now, if it's a sub-agent and you as an agent make 70%, well, you got to pay them less than 70 in order to make anything yourself off of it. So I, you know, like I said, 50, 60, 65, I've seen all kinds of situations there. Um, so that's pay as far as commission goes. Rates per load is another way to do it. Um, I know I talked about situations in the past where somebody maybe more so on the dispatch side, might have been paid a, a straight rate per load, like $20 per load covered or something like that. You can do that on a 1099 schedule as well, as long as that person is not dictated on their work hours or um, whatever. You might just, whatever you guys decide is your, your work situation, just make sure it follows the 1099 guidelines. So if you want to do still 20 bucks per load to cover a load, um, they can still dispatch for another company hypothetically, if they wanted to, right? Plus, you're not having to pay them a base pay because they're contracted. So they're really, they're paid per the amount of work that they do. That's just how it works. All right. Now, where do you find these folks? Well, it's going to really fall into the same kind of situation as what we talked about in the last episode. If you've got your job boards, you've got Indeed, ZipRecruiter, jobs and logistics. You've got LinkedIn. You could do a lot of headhunting and networking on there. You can try a private recruiter if you wanted to do that. Um, what I typically think is, you know, if you build, if you're building a brokerage business and you've got a good network of other brokers, remember not every other broker out there is your enemy or your competition all the time. Cause you may want to hire from one of these other pools of candidates at some point down the road. So don't burn bridges if you don't have to, right? So the more you can network and work in conjunction with other brokerages and other brokers and other agents, that may be a great opportunity down the road when it comes to wanting to hire somebody. And you'll say, hey, you know what? I'm actually looking for, maybe you're in a, a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group, or you just, you have a, a go-to person you think might be a good fit. You could say, 
hey, I'm actually looking to bring somebody on as my first agent or, you know, my agency's growing. We've got some overflow business. I love I love to bring on a sub agent to kind of absorb some of my business and let them build their own book of business as well. Is anybody interested? Right. You can kind of just put that opportunity out there um, and hopefully you didn't burn bridges in the past. So it'll actually be taken respectfully. So, yeah, that's my take on the 1099 portion. I can go into a lot more detail on the specifics of your situation. If you've got a specific situation that you want me to talk about or you want to go over in detail, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be happy to talk about it. All right. Let's get into trending and social media. I've got two questions or actually two posts today that I wanted to comment on. First one comes from Gabe. Gabe says, how do you calculate your rate for drivers? Um, I'm assuming that Gabe is new to the new to the business. And by going to social media to ask that question, I could tell you you're probably in the wrong situation in the first place. But let me give you my stab at it. All right. When you are in any kind of business and you have to figure out your rate to pay out somebody, you have to make sure that you're going to receive more money than you're going to pay out in order to produce what we call profit in the business world. And that might sound redundant and silly to a lot of you listening. Uh, but to answer Gabe's question, how you calculate your rate, figure out what it's going to cost you to hire a truck on average. Make sure that your customer is going to pay you more than that. Okay. And then that's where you get your rate from. So, but specifically, how do you get that carrier rate? There's a lot of tools out there. You've got rate view, rate mate. You've got all kinds of stuff. I think FreightWaves has the sonar tool that's out there and all that good stuff. Um, so really look at your historical rates, look at similar rates, look at the specific current situations. Um, what is the, um, you know, what is the capacity in that lane look like right now? How many loads are available? How many trucks are available? Uh, it gets you know, it's very complex, very complicated. That's why there's a lot of technology tools out there. But when you calculate it, if you're going to do a flat rate, which maybe this is what Gabe is asking, do you do flat versus per mile or a, another bunch of other options for it? Um, flat rate is, is clean and easy. If your customer is going to pay two grand, make sure you've got a healthy margin. I think average broker margin is 16% right now, give or take. So make sure you've got your margin built in there. That's what you're going to get paid off of. And that's how you figure out, you know, where that rate comes from. So but a lot of times you're going to get the rate from the carrier first and then go and bid on your customer's lane and, and do it that way. If you want to do per mile, all right, then you can say, well, it's going to be $2 a mile. And then you figure out if there's numerous stops or just a straight line haul A to B. Um, it all comes out to $1 amount at the end of the day. So I think it's, it's a lot cleaner if you do just a straight up flat rate. But some customers will have you bid and pay in per mile rates. All right, same thing with bag rates, 100 weights. You want to make sure, I would personally recommend that um, whatever your customer is paying in, that that's how you're paying out your driver. So if you're getting paid in bag rate, you're going to, uh, or a bit, you know, like a bag rate situation, you're going to pay out the driver in that same type of formula. Um, but how do you get it overall? Use the tools out there. Use your load history. Um, if you're new at it, you got to make sure that you're working with someone that knows what they're doing, that they can kind of mentor you and guide you on it. But it's got to be, don't take a loss on a load um, unless it makes business sense in the long run. All right, next question, Steven. Well, this wasn't a question. It was just kind of a statement. It says, unless a broker can explain to me what it is that they do that software cannot do, I really don't see a better solution. 
Uh, this had to do with automating brokerages and getting rid of the human broker and all that stuff. I've had episodes and articles on this. Uh, not to beat a dead horse, but uh, there's a lot that a piece of software cannot do that a human can do. First of all, um, if a human likes to talk to another human, software cannot replicate that, right? People like to work with those that they know, like, and trust. Can you know, like, and trust software like you can know, like, and trust a human being? Probably not. Um, I think the issue that is actually underlying here that Stephen brought up is the fact that carriers, a lot of them seem to hate a lot of brokers and shippers might feel the same way and yada yada. There's this whole animosity with everybody. Uh, brokers have a huge value add and a lot of that comes to handling an issue in a you know with, with some creative problem solving techniques and strategies, also with experience being available at midnight to actually help you out with a creative solution instead of just a an automated rate that guess what was designed by a human because software does not make itself it's created by humans anyway um so yeah there's a whole lot and uh obviously if you're a broker listening to this you've probably got your own uh thousand reasons but um there's the human element in brokerage that they cannot be replaced by a computer or a piece of software Technology is great. It will enhance the ability of that human being, but it will never fully replace that human being. And I'm just going to leave it at that. So uh, that's all I've really got. I am looking forward to a third episode on hiring. So what I want to do is take a look at the freight agent model and hiring your first employees or maybe 1099 contractor sub agents after you've established your agency. So that'll be episode 39. Yeah, episode 39. That'll be part three of hiring employees. Again, it is the agent model. You're already a 1099 agent and you want to grow your agency by hiring folks on because I get this question all the time. So that'll be next week's episode. We'll see you on that episode. Go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining and make sure to leave a review and check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that I referenced on this episode and feel free to add and message me on LinkedIn for suggestions for future topics. See you on the next episode.